sitting here today with Jamie Parker of the Griffin Trio. He's also a professor of music at U of T um, and a phenomenal pianist. It's a thrill for me to be sitting here with you. Thanks. Good to see you again. Good to see you. I read in your the Canadian Encyclopedia, it says that you have won more than 200 first place prizes in competition. Oh, yeah, those, those, those are little Kiwanis things, you know, I mean. But that's uh, still like <clears throat> insane. Uh, and, and that probably would have been my mom who counted them, you know. <laughs> no, I know, I know, I never did. But, well, uh, you know, well, what about we all kids, those medals you're wearing around your neck? No, yeah, <laughs> dragging along the floor. <laughs> no, it's, um, you know, all, all the little Kiwanis classes that uh, you do. Uh, I mean, you start off doing them as kids, and so you get used to performing in public, and then... Uh, you continue on sort of through through high school. Uh, some people still do them in university. So they're, they're a good sort of national system of, of just getting kids out in public. Okay, so whenever I meet musicians who are dedicated like that, yeah. I mean, for you to win that many or to be as good as you are today, you have to put in a lot of hours of practice. You do, you know, and I think uh, I actually am you know quite quite a quite a big believer in that 10,000 hours thing that mm-hmm. uh, Malcolm Gladwell sort of popularized and i do think that those people that are very talented they can probably get away with you know 6 7,000 hours and the ones who are just you know a little, a little bit slower might take you know 12 15,000 hours but but i i i like that notion that from from zero to being an expert takes a lot of time right you know and it's just doing things over again one of the things you want to do and that's where some people will will accomplish things better and more quickly is you have to become a self-improving mechanism so to speak in terms of your rehearsal technique you have to be you have to be aware you have to be uh, self-critical supportive but you have to be learning on the fly you can't just sort of blindly repeat a passage you know a hundred times I mean you might get it note perfect but it will be probably boring sounding so but at the, you, okay, so you start at the age of five, and yeah. I presume this was somewhat <coughs> motivated by your mom or dad. Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah, 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 Japanese mom, yeah. <laughs> and and so was your brother, and I believe mm-hmm. your sister as well. Yeah. So it, you come from a very musical family. Mm-hmm. At what point did music become not just something you did for your mom? Mm-hmm. What at what point when you were playing did you think, hey, I really like? Well, this. you know, for me it was quite late. Um, I mean, I there was always a lot of music in both in both uh, households, and by that I mean uh, you know my household and my uncle's household. So my mom uh, is a retired teacher, so she was teaching piano when she taught all the Royal Conservatory, you know, theory, history, harmony, analysis, all of those courses. She taught those for decades and decades. Uh, my dad never played, but he loved music, especially piano. So there were always records going, mm-hmm. and we were going to concerts, the VSO and Vancouver Symphony Orchestra, and so forth. Um, and then uh, my dad's brother, my dad's passed on. My my uncle, uh, he was sort of a nonstop piano teacher as well. He's more or less retired, um, and ran a teaching studio out of his house. So we sort of got it, you know, from both sides, you know, and 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 just sort of playing piano. Well, that's sort of what you did, right? And you know, so so for a lot of years. Um, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, I didn't really question it too much. I mean, I, you know, at times I resented a bit because, you know, in the summer you'd hear friends in the park just out the back lane playing baseball and mm-hmm. I'd be practicing some scales. <laughs> so, so, you know, there was, I, I, you know, I can't say, you know, every second was joy, the joy of music making, you know, I mean, it wasn't. But that's the typical picture that one gets is that, yeah. you know, the kid practicing and all the other kids are playing hockey or baseball outside and he's kind of longing yeah. and whatever i mean i think what i was able to i mean i played street hockey with my friends i think what i was able to absolutely hang on to uh, w- uh were my friends 
And that's something that, and so they, you know, they weren't in music. I had one friend in my high school um, that went into music. Um, But, uh, but I remember a few years ago, I was the last, there was a group of four of us and we'd always hang out, you know, on the weekends, even at university, I was in music, two were in commerce, one was in science. And, you know, we get together, play foosball and pinball for hours and then go to a, you know, noodle house and, you know, just, just catch up, you know? And so a few years ago, I was the last to turn 50. So we went for, you know, a boy's dinner in Vancouver. And when I posted the photo, you know, I was, I was thinking, you know, I've known, I've known Dan since grade nine, Ken since grade six and Warren, we go back to a grade one photo. And, and these are people still in my life. You know, we're, you know, we're sort of typical guys. We don't, we don't talk even 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 email or text that much but whenever i'm back in town we always just catch up where we left off and uh and it's great so i think i think i didn't have to sacrifice or i wasn't willing to sacrifice personal relationships right. um for music and so i was never i wasn't that serious about it and plus i had i mean a prodigy of, a, of an older brother and it was very very clear that this was going to be his path and so you know so you have to think well geez if i take sort of the same path you're going to be set up for all sorts of comparisons like really do i want this i mean I, you know you get a lot of that you get mistaken yeah. a lot and uh um so so for me it wasn't until end of grade 12 that i i actually i was i was thinking of of sciences pre-med that kind of path really and it wasn't until grade 12 where i thought you know what actually the sort of the the need and the love of music uh, sort of I, I would say sort of exponentially grew in that uh, but it took that long i mean that's a yeah. long time yeah, no, it was definitely something. I mean, I always did it, but um, it wasn't. It wasn't until quite late that I realized that. Ah, no, I got it. I got to do this. But at this, by this time, you've won awards, and and you're obviously mm-hmm. proving that you're good. Yeah. Um, and, and you mentioned this before when I when I talked to you before about your brother and and that he's the better one, which, you know, to be honest with you, and I don't I don't know a lot about classical music, but there are two <coughs> very memorable moments in my life with you mm-hmm. and one was when we were shooting the video f- when you were doing the al- last album recording oh yeah and so we had asked you to just replay some things because we needed to get some pickup shots mm-hmm. and I stood by the piano I was like two feet away from you while we mm-hmm. shot some additional footage and you played stuff that just blew my mind <laughs> like and then I, I, I just thought I have never been this close to this much piano greatness Oh, like I, 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 and it was serious. Like I just thought, oh my god, I cannot believe what what I'm hearing and what I'm feeling from from your playing. And then last summer in Ottawa at the Chamber Fest, you did um, Beethoven's Ninth. Oh uh, yeah, the last album with, with yeah. yeah, and that was just like <laughs> like you know. And once again, I'm not a classical music person, but I could feel goosebumps, especially at the very end. When yeah, the, well, that was a blast. You know, that's um. I mean, for a pianist to get close to the Ninth Symphony of Beethoven is is not easy to do. I mean, we've got the choral fantasy, which was sort of a bit a bit of piano concerto, but it's also got choir and orchestra. It's almost like sort of a beta version of the Ninth Symphony, right. uh, and then the and then the real version, unfortunately, doesn't have piano. But so I've played that. But uh, doing uh, and then the great pianist Franz Liszt arranged all the Beethoven symphonies for for uh, for two piano, and so that's so we did the last movement. Uh, and boy, yeah, it gets it gets howling at the end. <laughs> it was crazy. <laughs> that and was I a lot of fun. I can't imagine. I, no, and at that moment, I couldn't imagine hearing anything better than that. So. I mean, I guess you know that you know, and then sort of the the price you pay to get things like that going is you know every night, you know after after going to concerts and hearing friends play and, and rehearsals and so forth, 
you know, every night I'd be back in the hotel room and uh, my wife and the boys would be asleep and I'd have, I'd have the, the electric keyboard sort of jammed, jammed up against the closet by the bathroom and I'd be practicing till two, three in the morning, like every night. Well, see, and I don't know if people understand that. So, you know, obviously you, you grow up practicing five, six hours a day mm-hmm. as a child and yeah. that you have that discipline. You get to a point where you're really, really good. Um, and I, I guess you're continually working on what, what amazed me was at the, we talked about um, the Chamber Fest. At the Chamber Fest, I asked you about the things you were doing, and I think you were, you were involved in a number of different yeah. concerts <laughs> in a two, three-week period. And some of them, you were just rehearsing for the first time the day before with whoever you were playing with, yeah. and then you were presenting it the next day, Yeah, which is... Which is not something I imagine classical musicians to be doing. To be well, you know, I actually, I mean, I think it's a lot like, um, you know, it's a lot like what you see with uh, Team Canada. I mean, I love hockey, right? Mm-hmm. So, so, you know, a lot of my life is centered around my love of that. And this and is the, 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 the Canucks, monumental that disappointment that the Canucks still haven't won a Stanley Cup, <laughs> <laughs> and I still hate Boston, and I don't want to talk about. It. But getting back to you know, but basically, when you got whenever you get Team Canada thrown together at an at an international right. event like a Olympics, World Championships, that sort of stuff, Canada Cup, um, it's always exciting because you've got a lot of the a lot of fantastic talent, but they don't know each other. They haven't you know they haven't mm-hmm. played on the same team, the same line. They're all of a sudden on international ice surface. So there's all these variables thrown into it. And what's so exciting is seeing the ones that figure it out over the over the course of round robin play or the first week of, of preliminaries and. And to see how quickly you learn to read one another, and that's and that's exactly what you do in chamber music. We're basically, obviously, playing in the Griffin Trio. We just celebrated um, in March 20, 23 years. This is amazing. So, and it's and it's great. You know, very lucky that the same three of us have been. You know, a lot of things have to work in your favor for the same three to stay together. I mean, mm-hmm. again, you think of, you know, how many players stay with one team for their career you know and it's um so we've been very lucky that way we also do a few other things with other friends here and there but uh but it's been it's been just wonderful to have that kind of stability in an ensemble but it's also fun to you know there's lots of other friends that we have so you get together and uh due to everybody's different travel schedules rehearsal schedules their jobs and so forth sometimes you only get you know two two three days to sort of get some together so your responsibility of course is to learn your part to know how the other parts fit in. And as a pianist, you know, we see the entire score. We see everything, whereas mm-hmm. string players only see their part. So the pianist has to really get a sense of the the entire geography of a piece. And uh, and then you've got a couple of days to lay it, lay, you know, just that, rehearse like I crazy. think that's the thing. I mean, Griffin Trio is one thing where you, you're probably rehearsing quite a bit and yeah. you've worked with one another for over 20 years and so you probably know each other very yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But there are other situations where you come in and two or three days doesn't seem like a lot of time to actually it's not so i think you have to well that's one of the things we try to encourage with students at u of t is that um the idea of cueing you know of giving like like a you know sort of exhaling your head kind of comes down then you inhale breathe and then you start together (laughs) and by the way you breathe and cue you communicate tempo and dynamics so if you go bah if i go bah so when you teach at U of T, who are you teaching? And, and are these pretty well people who are going to be professional musicians or what, at what level are they at U of T? Basically, basically these are, are young, serious musicians. And, and, I, and, you know, and, and a small number of them will go on to you know, significant performance careers. But just the way the numbers work, a lot of them will not have sort of the stereotypic, uh, stereotypical kind of uh, 
career, you know, concertizing all around the world and, and, and being lauded and feted and all of that sort of stuff. It's the, the reality is far more brutal, you know, I'm where, sure. um, where, you know, things like um, support for classical music and CBC is just dried up like crazy, you know, over the last 10 years. Um, <clears throat> so that's that's been that's been a big detriment to the younger generation. I mean, when I was younger, when I was a university student and just, you know, beginning to win some national, not just local, but national competitions, then you would get a tour. Either of the, uh, there was a, there still is a great series out out east called Debut Atlantic. And so if you if you're chosen, then you do a tour, you do like, you know, dozen concerts in mm-hmm. these small towns all throughout the Maritimes. There's uh, Prairie Debut, uh, which is sort of modeled after that same kind of idea. Um, uh, another terrific competition is the Eckhart Gramate competition for new music that happens in Brandon, Manitoba. And, and so I, I won that as a pianist. And then they have a tour across the country. So, you know, your first experience touring was in my uh, first or second year undergrad when I was a student out at UBC. And then the next year, my girlfriend at the time was a violinist, and she won. So, so we did a tour the next year. So, so two back-to-back tours across the country was was just a spectacular experience, and and things like you know, and, and sort of the real world. Like I remember, you know, being on the road somewhere, some small town in the middle of nowhere, and you know, going going to Subway and having a turkey sub, you know, on Thanksgiving because <laughs> I didn't know anybody. <laughs> and it's you know, so and 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 back in the day, you know, we had maps. You know, <laughs> you know, so you had a map and you got to figure stuff out. You know, you got to go. Okay, there's the airport. There's the hall. There's the hotel. There'll be some food around either the hall or the hotel, but you got to figure this stuff out. And now, you know, people without without their GPS, they're hopeless. You know, how difficult was it? Like, did you know the business end of things? And and once you decided, okay, I'm in great trouble, and I think I want to be a musician, did you know what that? really meant in, in terms of... I mean, of I had a, just a bit of a sense of it from, from my brother who was, you know, a few years older. And so, you know, so I had a bit of a sense. And, and obviously having gone to a lot of concerts either at university or, or in Vancouver where, where I grew up, um, you, you, and, and you meet people giving guest master classes and you sort of see their schedule. And, um, you get a sense that, you know, they're in town, they're giving a class for three hours, then they're going to take a nap and play a concert. And then tomorrow they're flying to somewhere else, you right. know? So, so you get a bit of a sense, but it, but it's nothing, it's, it, it, it means nothing until you actually live it, you know? And, yeah. uh, and so it was great to have a few tours, like I say, you know, right, right in a row and get a sense, get a sense of what, what that whole thing is like. And, uh, and, and the travel is sort of really a, you know, two-sided coin. I mean, it's great. You get to catch up with, with old friends, you get to meet new people, you get to see lots of great stuff. Uh, whether it's whether it's stuff out in nature or in museums, galleries, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, uh, you know, restaurants, a, a lot of that's great. The sadly things like you know the the U.S. Border Patrol and Transport TSA they have sucked a lot of the joy out of travel. You know, I mean, it's just you see photos post. You know, LAX is just is just a disaster. Like a friend <laughs> had somebody took his laptop, uh, you know, in a in a TSA lineup, you know, and. And he eventually got it back, but it took it took a long time. And uh, you know, just just how how difficult they've made mm-hmm. it to travel. Is, uh, and you do a lot. Like I can't believe this year because I I kind of follow you and 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 we have some connections in in yeah. our work. And I just I know I'm just amazed at where you've been in the last mm-hmm. five months. Like it's yes, but I mean June was uh, June was a little bit tricky because I was only home for about four days. You know, and it's I look forward to the summer a lot because that's where I get to spend more time with my kids. Right. Um, but it's also yeah. festival season too. But yeah, it's festival season. So 
Yeah, so June, um, Griffin Trio spent two weeks in Orford teaching piano trio. So that was great. So we had eight young, young piano trios to work with. Uh, then we had one night in Toronto, and then uh, Annalie and I went to Stanford, and we're, we're, we're teaching with the St. Lawrence String Quartet, our old friends there, um, and, then, and then coming back, and then we've just sort of started a kitchen renovation, and I've been rehearsing with, uh, we've been rehearsing with some singers, so Russell Braun, Monica Witcher, and Robert Palmakoff, we'll be doing some things with them in Ottawa, so we're getting a little bit of preemptive rehearsing done here mm-hmm. now. When we all have a little bit of a little bit of free time before we show up, so we'll still have a couple of rehearsals in Ottawa, but we'll have sort of we'll be able to build on the fact that we've already had a rehearsal, a couple of rehearsals this week. Like I know you have a certain repertoire with the Griffin Trio, but if I was to ask you how many different projects are you working on now that you will be performing in the next couple months, what would that be like? Well, yeah, there's there's always there's always sort of that beginning of summer stack, which is about you know with piano scores is about you know, 30 pounds of music, you know, and, and it's sort of over the course of the summer, you get to sort of weed it out and, uh, 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 you know, as, as the concerts go by. So we've got coming up, um, Perry Sound. So we'll be doing, uh, Dvorak, uh, Dvorak Dumpke Trio and Schubert B-flat. So those are trios that we've, mm-hmm. we've played for quite a bit. So those won't take much to get back. Um, but is then, it like that? Like you, you have played it, you've recorded it. But you, you might not have played it in the last six months, a year, or whatever. Is it easy to get that piece back? Some pieces like that. I mean, we, some pieces like that, which we have probably played, I don't know, like hundreds of times. You know, so those. There's only a, like I have. I have a system in my my scores where, on the outside margins, if there's something tricky for the right hand, I put a little star by the right hand staff, and if something tricky for the left hand, it goes below. If it's something for both hands, it goes in the middle of the staff. If it's something I've screwed up in concert, it starts to get increasingly dark circles around it. So, so basically, if I have you know ten minutes, I can get through a 30, 40 minute piece just hitting the spot. Flip, flip. Okay, that's a bad spot. You know, do that one. Run that one over like you know five right. times and flip, flip, flip. Oh, that's a bad spot. Do that eight times. Flip another bad spot two times. You know, so I can get through. I, I not not the overall uh, sense of phrasing and of pacing and so forth. Um, but in terms of, I, I can sort of get into performance mode very quickly, so I'm not worried about that. I know how to make a nice sound, so I'm not spending a lot of time on that. I'm just revisiting those tricky spots. You know, just like, you know, like scales arpeggios, like the guys practicing foul shots, you know, like these, these are the best in the world, and they're still missing, right? You know, so, you know, they get paid a bit more than I do, but, you know, you know, you still got to practice those things. So, so I have a pretty organized system of uh, knowing what what I do well and what's easy and knowing what's challenging and what's difficult and what I need to keep working on. So so I just hit those spots. Um, but we've got a big project coming up uh, involving uh, Scott Good, trombonist and, and composer, and he's he's arranging a few things. He's written a few things. Uh, it'll be for the trio with uh, Roberto Acapinti on bass and Daphne Prieto on drums, mm. which is a very cool project. And uh, um, and and Scott on, on trombone for some of the pieces as well. So it's uh, it's a bit more jazzy kind of oriented, and um, a couple of the charts are pretty hard. Um, there's this one piece, Phrygian Gates by John Adams, which is about you know oh, 25 minutes or something, and it's like you got to count like a son of a bitch. You know? It's just like <laughs> people fall, you know, you know, people man overboard. You know? <laughs> people fall off that boat a lot. So <clears throat> so that's. Uh, that's going to be a big challenge, that piece. So, and, and that one I'm playing off an iPad Pro, so I've got the foot pedal and, you know, sort of figuring out the delay from me hitting the pedal and when the, 
you know the digital page turns. So we've got that a few a few other pieces for that project. Um, I mean, you guys do a lot of interesting things. It's not just your traditional <clears throat> um, classical pieces, but you also commission a lot of new works. Definitely, that's been a big part of what we've done since uh, very early on. Uh, I think we started in the early '90s. Only about three or four years later, we commissioned a, a, a big piece by Kelly Marie Murphy, uh, Ottawa-based composer. And it's been a terrific piece. And one of those pieces that we say has legs because we've actually taught it and coached it to students who have learned it. So when, when the next generation is learning a piece you commission, that's a good sign for the, for the composer that that's a good piece. So when you're teaching at U of T, are you teaching mainly traditional music, classical music, or is there a lot of new music? Cla- classical and new music. So, so, I mean, you know, the, a bulk of the... The standard sort of Western European repertoire, I mean, specifically, really so much of it is, is German-Austrian-based, um, you know, Bach, Beethoven, Brahms, Schubert, Mozart, Haydn. I mean, all, all those guys were around there. So so that still forms a, a big a big base of what of what we teach. Um, but then from there on, uh, I mean, chamber music, obviously, I love teaching and coaching that a lot because I do it so much and love it so much. Um and then new music has been a, a big, a big, a big part of what we do. So we we usually have two or three premieres a year, and we've got a project at Earl Hague Collegiate School where we work with uh, the used to be the grade twelve, now it's the grade eleven class, and so they end up writing <coughs> short trios for us. And uh, uh, at our annual concert down at the St. Lawrence Center for Music Toronto, we always play a few of their pieces and sort of bring them out and they get to come up on stage and take the composer's bow and uh, it's 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 a really fun it's a really fun thing so uh, if we were to look at pieces that are that are you know you play pieces that are hundreds of years old yeah and that are still popular today when you look at new music can you imagine some of these pieces being played hundreds of years from now there's there's a few that, that like i say there's a few that really have legs um and then there's a few that you know, well, it was worth the try. <laughs> you know? And 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 look, you know, I actually want to, this is something that always gets me in trouble with composers, but every now and then I think there should be organized world derniers. <laughs> like, like, this is the last time anyone is going to have to sit through this piece of crap. <laughs> you know, just, you know, you're going to play it and then boom, all extant copies, you know, burned, all PDFs deleted. That's it, you know, <laughs> last time ever. I, you know, because because a lot of a lot of stuff being written is not great, you know. I mean, some of it's some of it's experimental, some of it, um, some of it, just doesn't quite work, you know. And uh, but but it's it is important to sort of, you know, a, a part of what we do is is we want to explore, we want to, you know, check out boundaries and push envelopes and that that sort of stuff. And uh, so we've always enjoyed doing that. Sometimes it's it's been challenging. Like I remember. I remember one premiere that was it was just difficult because it was in a small town and this piece was just just batshit crazy <laughs> i mean it was it started and actually there was a very funny story actually there was a very funny story when we played it at the winnipeg new music new music festival um so the piece starts really really quietly with the cello very high harmonic like for a whole page <laughs> And and then <laughs> you turn the page, and my part is just black. It just says like it's just like wow, like fistfuls of notes everywhere. And there's this little asterisk, and I at the very bottom of the page it says um, 
like the psychic scream of all humanity being snuffed out in an instant or something. <laughs> it was just so dark. I think the composer was going through something at the time. You know? And so I just come in like fists a-blazing, right? And and so, so, of course, like some critic the next day wrote, well, there's some inherent balance problems with the piano trio format. <laughs> I was like, you idiot. <laughs> and then... And then what was funny, this was, this was way back, because I was teaching, uh, I was at Wilfrid Laurier for seven years before I came to U of T in 2003. Um, so, so one of my students who was, uh, he's now teaching out at uh, UPEI, he's um, re really talented, he's a pianist, composer, and, and so Rick was driving with some friends somewhere in Waterloo, and, uh, and then CBC came on back when they actually you know, recorded concerts, mm -hmm. and uh, we're here live at the Winnipeg New Music Festival. The Griffin Trio, about to, you know. And so, so hey, that's my TJ. Hey, turn it up, turn it up. So, so either in the car, they turn it up. <laughs> I can't hear it. Turn it up. Bad <laughs> And then I just like you know blew their car stereo practically, <laughs> bashing my way through my entrance. So, you know, so you get um, you get pieces that are sort of, in some ways, sometimes more important for the composer than the performer, and that's that's fine. I I accept that. I mean, they've got to go through their things to grow. And uh, and figure out what works and, and maybe what doesn't work. Um, so you know, so certain pieces are more appropriate for certain venues and certain audiences. We like to have a piece that we can play for any audience. Right. Um, and in fact, we do have one one recent uh, terrific piece by Danuk Wijeratni, who just just won a Juno. Fabulous composer. So he wrote he wrote a piece uh, uh, which has been a lot of fun to play. We play it you know right next to Beethoven, and audiences love it. So. So actually, we'll be playing that again in Ottawa this uh, this summer. So you, the other thing is that you're a very funny guy, and I think I believe I read that how much you love humor and I do, how I much do. From the outside, <laughs> classical music doesn't seem to really embrace humor. Not so much. I mean, I mean, it's very proper. I think it is. It is, and I think it, you know, and sometimes because of that, it gets a bit of um, you know, a bit of a stuffy elitist kind of. Uh, uh, moneyed sort of sort of uh, reputation and the thing is though <clears throat> in 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 a certain way I, I would say most most performers are very in, in some ways very similar to pool players uh, in that you know at at the top level you're like you know in tuxedos and tails mm -hmm. and suits and all this stuff and and like you know if you, you know you see these guys playing playing snooker right and and they've all they're all decked out in their tails and, and all but they all started in bars right you know we, they all started in bars and and so they would be more comfortable taking sort of the like us you know taking the servants entrance than taking the front elevator with the security guard you know so i think i think most performers have have seen you know, seen a lot of sides to things. Um, and I think it, you know. I mean, is there anything about classical music that you would change? Not not the music itself, but just the the way it's perceived or the way it's presented? Well, I think, you know, there are some people doing a, a lot in that regard. Um, our, our good friend Rob Capolo has mm -hmm. a tremendous, well, he's got a few series. Uh, the What Makes It Great right. is something that we've taken part in, and it sounds like maybe you've seen one or two of those. And where, where, you know, on stage with performers, he just sort of dissects a piece. And mm -hmm. it's not rigorously intellectual. And in fact, I think the very first one he did for, uh, it was a sort of a pilot project for NPR in the U.S. where, where he said, you know, I want to do this project where I explain music to people so they get it better, you know? And said, okay, great. You can't use any musical jargon. He says, oh, okay, yeah, sure. <clears throat> and so, so Rob starts saying, um, 
Okay, well, somewhere over the rainbow. So we start on the tonic seat. Sorry, can't use the word tonic. <laughs> and then we jump up an octave. Sorry, can't use the word octave. It's like, ah! <laughs> so he had to learn to speak in a way that is absolutely basic and, and, and cannot be misunderstood. You right. know? So there's a leap up and then a step down. Yeah, you know, so, yeah. so he'll speak like that. And so to some people, it sounds almost like he's talking down to an audience. And he's audience, so but, passionate but about it. But he is so passionate about it. And he's doing it so that he is clear and so that people will understand. And so, so as I said, so he, as, as you've seen, he takes the piece apart with performers on stage, constantly demonstrating passages and, and what, say, an average composer would have done. And then what Beethoven did, you know, and, yeah, yeah. and, and how this is sort of exceptional and sounds really interesting. And then the second half, the performer or performers play through the piece in its entirety, and there's a short Q and A with Rob afterwards and the performers. So, so he does that, and that um, I I just wish somebody would fund like sending like you know a dozen sort of disciples with him on the road, you know, and just sort of pick up on what he does yeah, yeah. because we we so desperately need people that 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 are great musicians, passionate about it, and can communicate it. You know, and, and uh, in a way that um, is, ah, oh, you hate those words like you know infotainment and sort of, but 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 it's something that you learn something, but you enjoy it. You know, and actually, I think you know on that on that topic, I think um, way back, you know, like the Greek philosophers and, and 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 playwrights. I mean, they understood that stuff. They understood that if you went out and you had like an amphitheater, open amphitheater of people. And you started talking in a way that was so pedantic and boring, they would leave. Right. You, know, <laughs> you know, they would just leave, and you'd have nobody to talk to. So, so they had to kind of figure out a way of making it, ah, right. okay, you know, like something enjoyable, something that clicks, something that, um, you know. And so I think, um, you know, that's something that you learn as a performer. I think one of the things that I know I learned, and it's not a talent I tell students this every day, is public speaking. And, and, and things like that. It's not a talent. This is a skill. And, and you just have to get out and keep doing it. And I remember, you know, vaguely, I have that sort of painful memory buried somewhere of uh, those first few times when a presenter, you know, when I'm young, I mean, I'm making that transition from student to professional, you know. And, and so some presenter at five to eight comes back and sees me and says, I, I'm just going to talk to our subscribers for a minute. And, and oh, and you'll be talking about the music, right? What? Talk, talk, talk. And I, I'd never done that before. So those first, I don't know, probably year at least of concerts where, 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 where I was sort of asked to talk were painful, you know, for the yeah. audience. And I, I, if any of them are still alive, I apologize. Uh, uh, but I, mean, I don't see that <laughs> happening a lot in classical music. When I go to see classical concerts, one of the things that bothers me is between movements there's no applause or yeah. there's no and i you know I, and somebody who's not really educated in classical music i don't know when the movement is ends or yeah. when the piece ends and so you think i, I think i want to clap here and, and nobody else does so you don't <laughs> and then uh, you know you only do so when and i i think yeah. that's i don't know i, well, I you find know, that I weird. Think there is that sense of, the, of sort of the rules yeah. of etiquette of a classical music concert thou shalt not break you know and look i'll tell you honestly most most of my generation and younger you know, if we play a movement that ends really dramatically, mm -hmm. excitingly, passionately, we're fine if an audience claps, you know, I, I, totally fine, totally fine. And some people in the audience, oh, sh you know, yeah, they, yeah. They, they might get a little, you know, anal about it. But but that's, you know, they're sort of used to like listening to music, you know, in a stereo or something and just sort of having that 
that silence to contemplate the universe in between. And, and so, you know, I understand you don't want people who are so involved in that entirety to have that silence broken. But since this is a public event, mm-hmm. like I say, most of us, we don't have a problem at all if people, you know, applaud at the end of something loud and exciting. But even the conversation or the chatter between yeah. pieces, it doesn't seem to happen a lot in classical music. Maybe not, not as much as it should. And I, and I think... Um, I think it depends on the. It depends a lot on the performer. Uh, like I say, I think, I think my generation and, and younger generations, certainly the ones that we're talking to about it, is that you got to talk to an audience. Yeah. I mean, it used to be, you know, it's like you know the chaos cone of silence. You know, performer walk out, bow, play, bow, leave, bow, play, bow, leave. You know, yeah. and it was just nope, nothing verbal. And and I think that's that's really changed a lot. Okay. Um, so I think certainly. Yeah, I guess it depends where you go. I mean, you know, in some cities, like in, say, New York, I don't think, you know, I talk as much. Because <laughs> they are just generally, a, you know, a more sophisticated audience and, right. and less tolerant of uh, banter. Are you, are you encouraged or are you <clears throat> fearful of the future of classical music? A bit, you know, I'd say a bit of both. I mean, I think, I think I've been, you know, kind of horrified at the, I mean, the, just the almost the demise of sort of the the paradigm of the American Symphony Orchestra. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, they're you know going into bankruptcy or, <clears throat> or locking out musicians and on rarer occasions strikes. But um, but they're expensive things to run. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to have massive amounts of money in in endowments. Um, and there there are, there are a number of cases where management you know man, you know no violinist has ever screwed an orchestra. It's always the management, right? You know, it's never the rank and file. You know, it's never them. Right. They're the ones that have, they're still paying off their student loans, you know, like 20 years into a job. They're still doing, right? They're not the ones, you know, you know, screwing up the finances. So it's almost always some idiot manager says, oh, you know what? Let's, let's spend some of that endowment and put it in the stock market. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, they're the ones doing that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Um, <clears throat> but it's a problem. It's a big problem. Uh, but I do think, sort of on the flip side, uh, the chamber music is sort of a, a relative sort of area of growth because, um, you know, what does it cost to put on a chamber music concert? Well, you've got three to six people to pay mm-hmm. as opposed to 50 to 80. Um, <clears throat> you're not, you're not going to be renting big halls like, like symphony halls. So, you know, so, so, I mean, you know, and you're getting more pop-up things. You're getting... You know, people successfully running house concerts. The, pr- the problem comes down to the economics of it, of making this work in a way that is actually, you know, work, works for the musicians. You know, because, you know, anybody can play, you know, house concert for 50 bucks here, 100 bucks there, but you're not going to make a living doing that. Right. So, so you're, you're going to need better and bigger organized uh, or organizations with halls and subscription series and things like that. But I presume at this point with the Griffin, you travel all over the world, you're a world-class trio, um, and you know, you're, you're like everywhere. Like I saw you in, in Toronto a few weeks ago, and then you flew to Montreal that night. Yeah, well, yeah, well, so yeah, yeah well, that's right, yeah. Um, yeah, that was one of my only nights in, in Toronto in June. Um, and we you, were actually in the middle. Of, we were actually in the middle of teaching in Orford right. that week, um, and so we came in. I think we came in on late on a Wednesday night. 
re- dress rehearsed Thursday, played Thursday, and then flew back Thursday night. Yeah, so yeah, that was a re- that was a re- uh, drive by, as we say. <laughs> um, but you're playing all over the place, and so when you look at your audience base, is the audience base because sometimes this and this is true in blues and jazz and folk, mm-hmm. the audience base is getting older. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's it's sometimes scary how much older they seem to be. And mm-hmm. is that an issue with classical? Because I've also heard. Yeah. And I've talked to Barry about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, is that you know, in some ways, people always tend to find classical music at a certain age, and so that. Well, you know, that's and that's an interesting, you know, and I I don't know the the stats on that, but but I think certainly a, a lot of a lot of people are kind of wondering when when are the boomers gonna wake up, <laughs> you know, and kind of go, hey, classical music, yeah. That's better than this boring pop crap that I've been listening to for the last forty. You know, I yeah, mean, yeah. I mean, like I, you know, I grew up on Beatles and Pink Floyd as as much as Beethoven. Uh, so I've I've always I've always had interests, you know, out, outside of just sort of the typical yeah. nerdy classical. Norm. I believe we talked about ACDC at one. Yeah. Time. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, actually, because Annalie just did this is my music. Uh, that is such a fun show to do on CBC. That you know where you get to wait, wait, wait. <clears throat> sort of curate a two-hour show, and so I I, I had. You know, my first selection was like the original Hockey Night in Canada theme, <laughs> you know, Dolores Claiborne, right? Um, and then I had I had a Lover Boy song, on, you know, and then of course, you know, a bunch of Beethoven and other stuff. But wait, it's like which Lover Boy? Uh, would have been um, Turn Me Loose. Oh, okay. Yeah, that was a great song. Weekend, yeah. Oh, it was great. Yeah, and it, you know, it was a hometown band. It was it was a lot of fun. Um, Did you ever want to play that? Like rock. <clears throat> um. Every now and then I thought of being a rock drummer. That'd be fun. <laughs> Can you play drums? Don't have the hair. But uh, <clears throat> I, I mean, I'm used to using four limbs. So I, I, you know, I haven't. But I think I think I could figure some of it out. Do you listen to much of other music? I don't even know how, how you would have time because you work in so many different things. Well, and actually, yeah, these days, these days, I mean, the way, you know, so I'll, I'll give you sort of a typical day. Um, I get up late. Um, so, you know sometimes around 10 mm-hmm. then I'll go you know teach you know teach till yeah, it depends on on the day at school and how long I've been out of town or but you know teach till about five or so and then come home spend a few hours with the family and then once once the kids go down for stories around nine thirty, then you know I sort of fire up my last double espresso and and then practice and take care of admi- admin and email and stuff but usually practice till about two to three so how many so, hours are you putting in for practice only? Well, probably I try to do four, you know, something like that. So depending on on the urgency and the amount of rep I got to cover. But so I presume any listening you're doing is probably listening for the pieces you're so working. So actually, yeah. And the thing is, I think because I'm I'm teaching it so much and then practicing it so much, I don't for recreation do a lot of listening right now. Although, as of a few days ago, I, I'm actually on sabbatical this year. Oh. So. Uh, so and what's the plan for the year? Well, the plan is to not teach. <laughs> um, I mean, there, you know, there, there, are, there are lots of lots of things that I, I want to do. There's actually a lot of listening I want to do. Um, uh, just, you know, some pieces I want to learn, some projects that you, you just don't have time for in the day-to-day. Um, and is it easy for you to schedule? Because all of a sudden your schedule is going to be very different. You're going to yeah. free up a number of hours yeah. a day or a week. Yeah. So, you know, because we I was talking recently about how when you're really busy, you can organize and get more things done it's true it's true sometimes you get all sunday and you do you you kind of squander it you know (laughs) it's true there is a bit of that so you know you gotta you just have to be vigilant and 
just make sure you don't. But when you go on sabbatical, is there like do you have to actually have something that says this is the goal? These are the things I want to accomplish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you put in you put in a proposal, um, and then at the end of the year, I mean, look, the good news with um, with being busy with with Griffin Trio things and 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 other activities is that, I mean, you know, I could almost do nothing more than what I normally do mm-hmm. in a year, and my year end report looked fine. It would look great. You know, so I mean, yeah, I don't mean don't mean to be arrogant about it, no. but, but it's true. I mean, um, and 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 every year at April, I it's just it's it's always the same. You like it's it's the end of the school year, but you know you're frantically giving extra coachings and lessons, and you got students who got recitals, and then you're on juries for other recitals and <clears throat> and exams, and then income taxes are due, and then the year end reports for U of T are due, and it's like like every and it's like it's just bureaucratic nightmare these forms and they're ne- they never fit musicians right you know, like how many research papers did you give i didn't give any i played 60 concerts <laughs> you know and so, you know so but you have to write down everything you did right and and like every year i go i just want to say i was busy if i wasn't busy i'd have time to do this report you know? but you know they they make it seem like it's tied into your raise you know so so everybody sort of shuts up and does it <laughs> do you enjoy teaching i i love it i love it i've, I've always enjoyed there, there are things with universities that are difficult, and I would say the, uh, the two primary uh, concerns I have. One is the glacial pace of change. Mm-hmm. Is, like the curriculum is frighteningly close to the curriculum I had, you know, 25, 30 years ago. Um, so it's slow. It takes, it takes a long time to institute, uh, to integrate, to introduce things. It's very difficult, very slow, always hurdles. And if you want to add something, it means cutting something. No, you can't cut that. You know, so it's always, it becomes these, these little turf wars a lot. Um, and then the other thing is funding. Um, <clears throat> music programs cannot, cannot survive on sort of the uh, typical funding budget model that faculties of medicine and law and business right. can, can accommodate. We, we cannot do that. Um, faculties of music and, and actually dentistry are exceptionally expensive because you actually essentially are running professional labs in addition to academic classes. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, I mean, in no other faculty do you get the kind of one-on-one you get in a music faculty. Most, you know, arts and science lectures are, you're in, you're in Con Hall, you have 500 students, one prof, you know, eight TAs or something. Uh, my biggest class has less than 30 Hmm. You know, that's the undergraduate piano masterclass. Right. So all, all the performance majors, all the different teachers from first to fourth year, all together. And so I teach that and organize it. So friends and colleagues, and sometimes pay pay for guests out of town that that are in town. So, um, <clears throat> but so much of our teaching is one on one, and in no other faculty you get one hour privately with a professor right. once a week for twelve weeks for two terms for four years. I mean, the cost of that compared to like the one prof for 500, I mean, you, you know, you get a sense of how music faculties cannot survive and be run on a typical budget model. They have to have a little more per capita support than, than almost, almost any and every other faculty. It's just, um, <clears throat> and so that, that's a frustrating thing. And I think, um, you know, some, some schools of music get it, some don't. And um, it's just trying to, convince the people 
you know, in your school that this is worth supporting, that we right. actually do good things, you know. Um, as a player, are you, uh, are you as good as you can possibly be? Or, do you, or how do you get better? Well, I think, I mean, I think uh, we, we sort of touched a bit on the, you know, getting better, you've got to be listening right here, right now, mm-hmm. and be, be self-improving. So, and, and I would say, I would say learning how to be quick is uh is an important thing you know like i've told students look if 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 somebody has <clears throat> if a presenter has a concert <coughs> somebody cancels it if a presenter has a concert in two weeks and has a choice between you know say two violinists or two pianists one of whom can do a phenomenal job but needs three weeks and one who can do a really good job in one week they're getting the job mm-hmm. you know like you have got to be quick you cannot Ah, I need a year to plan for that. You know, I need, <laughs> you, you, that that's that's not going to work. You know, you've got to be quick. Now, that's not to mean I, superficiality is important. It's it's not. But you've got to be you've got to be quick at getting to a high level. I would say, uh, the quicker you can, you know, and and then again, when you get to those situations like a a, chamber, a summer chamber music festival where you've got two days to get something together and put on stage. You know, you've got you've got to be able to to adapt quickly. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, to different different personalities, different temperaments, different um, rehearsal techniques, different you know, a, a lot of different things. At this stage in your career, is there anything that um, you're still trying to achieve? Is there a goal that you have musically or in other ways that um, you're still working towards? I mean, I th- <clears throat> I haven't thought a lot about big term goals. I mean, <clears throat> you know, because I, I was never. I was never a big sort of what's your five year plan, you know. I, I was never too. I find most musicians aren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, well, that that stands to reason because I think most musicians, I mean, what's what's your goal? To get good, like duh, <laughs> you know, so, you know, and that's, I mean, that's kind of a life lifelong goal. Right. So, so from that point of view, I'm I'm still on that, you know, you know I'm still getting good, you know, at what I do. Um, I mean, at, at your level, and then once again, I, I watch you and I'm just mesmerized by how good you are. But do you say, sit there and go, God, I could do better? Oh, certainly. Oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so I think, you know, I, I, I know I, I don't, you know, beat myself up over something that, you know, but, uh, you know, you know, okay, that I could have, I could have just tweaked how I budgeted the time, you know, spent practicing on this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I, and I'd say, look, you know, it, it also gets, it also is challenging when when you have family, when you have other things that you love to spend your time with, because really, really, so much of what we do in life is like, you know, where where are you going to spend your time today? You know, and, mm-hmm. and and what's 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 going to be interesting? What's going to be worth it? What's what what can you not live without? What what do you kind of have to do? You, you know, it's, we you know we all make those decisions every day, right? And um, and I remember there was I think it was Richard Stoltzman, uh, one one of the few you know sort of touring clarinet players but he was he was talking about that once like is it is it gonna make that much of a difference to people if i spend you know another two hours practicing that big jump or should i just go hang out with my kids at the pool or something you know and and when you when you have family you begin to you know think about those sorts of things um and i that's why i say i I love the summer because i spend more time with my boys i mean i can spend time you know, but with them both practicing piano, violin, I took them to the Chihuly exhibit at the ROM. I'm going to take them to the Lauren Harris. Uh, you know, so so there's lots of stuff we like to do, 
but um, but it uh, but during during the school year it gets it gets tough, you know. And and I and I already have a bit of a sort of a future regret that my kids sort of grow up thinking, yeah, Daddy was fun. He was tired a lot, <laughs> you know, <laughs> because they sort of see me at that break point between my academic and professional uh, sort of career portions of my day. And that's sort of when, you know, if I haven't had lunch and I've been teaching all day and then I have dinner, the <laughs> I just, you know, I hit the reclining chair and then it's like, I, I'm out for an hour, you know, or a half hour. So would you want them to follow the, your path in music? You, not necessarily. No. Cause I, I mean, you see a lot of musicians do come from parents who are musicians, mm -hmm. you know, and that uh, they, they see how it works. So they get experience and so forth. But I know how difficult, you know, to to achieve and maintain any kind of success, how difficult that is. And I mean, you know, the kind of sacrifice if you have, you know, assuming that you have high standards, if you're given the opportunity to play concerts, you work, you know, you, you, you don't you don't take days off much. Um, so I know, you know, I, I know the kind of sacrifices you got to make for this. So. I, I don't know that I would wish that on anybody, you, you know? I mean, there is a part of me that kind of looks forward to retirement. It's like, gosh, I can read now. I can, I can, you know, I can just do stuff for fun. But what do you think it is about you that has that drive to, to seek perfection or to have a certain quality that you, you, you must deliver? Well, I, I think it's, you know, I think, I think we've all been inspired by some of our teachers and, and some of the great performers that we've seen in our lives. Um, I think, you know, especially like, you know, you, you turn on any device or you know, read any paper and it's like, you know, who got blown up today? Where, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, 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 it is so depressing, you know, and, uh, you know, and, and, you know, you know, like you just sort of want to lock up all like the NRA people, the racist white cops and the Daesh people and just put them on a shooting range and have at it, you know, <laughs> and just, just take everybody out, you know, because it, it's it can be so depressing mm -hmm. to get into that you know and i and i think um you know i think i think leonard bernstein every now and then you'll see it posted after one of these uh, terrorist incidents uh that our 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 response as musicians our response to to acts of terror will be to make music more passionately more more meaningfully and so forth and so i th i think there is a certain um you know i, I we're we're sort of the world's therapists in a certain way. I mean, we're trying to bring some element of beauty to to a world that is so chaotic and uh, and fractured, you know. Uh, so I think I think there is a part of us that um, that that just wants to make just this little corner a little more beautiful, you know. And and maybe maybe something rubs off and somebody else does something a little more beautifully too. So th so I think there is that. Um, as I said, I think there is the sense of standards. Also, this you know there is a sense of responsibility too, like in a, you know sort of a civic sense. Like when um, when I went to Juilliard, I had Canada Council, uh, very good Canada Council grant support, and and BC it was the BC Cultural Fund. I think it's the BC Arts Council now, maybe. But they were both um, <clears throat> both terrific to me in my studies, and and the Ontario Arts Council in terms of touring and the Canada Council as well currently you know still in terms of some of the tours that, that Griffin does and some of the commissioning projects and um, and so there is a sense that you know every every taxpayer has helped me a little bit mm -hmm. so you know any chance I've got to do something and, and give something back to to 
everybody. That's that's my responsibility too. So. Do you write? Do you compose at all? I don't compose. I've I've only thought about it now and then, but again, just haven't had any any time. So that that's actually you know even looking at even starting off with something a little more basic like transcribing, you know, taking some things and maybe transcribing them for trio is something I might I might take a look at during my sabbatical. How about improvisation? Because this is some a yeah. conversation I've had with many musicians, but a lot of classical musicians cannot improvise. Or I do am not in improvise. that total lame category, and and it's and it is it is a part of me that feels just sort of embarrassed. Like really, you know, like like it's so lame. <laughs> like you, you know, like okay, yeah. So I've done some nice recordings, you know, you know, one three Junos, but I'm a complete idiot. I can't I can't improvise. I'm useless. You know, and it's it's embarrassing. Like, can you? I mean, as a teacher. Can you explain to me what that would like? Obviously, you spent your life um, reading music and and, yeah. and being able to play it instantaneously and execute it at a level that's beyond most people. What does improvise? How? What, what's the difference between that and improvisation? Well, yeah, no, I think. Well, I think the deal is like you said. I mean, I was. There were two things that happened, or three, I suppose. One, I was I was comfortable dealing with music, so using using my eyes to sort of take data in and and then produce that result with with my fingers right. so so I was comfortable with that process so that happened at a young age two I was never encouraged or shown the possibilities of, of improv and three I did not have the internal urge to just say hey what happens if I screw around like this and so what's kind of fun for my kids is that uh, there's they're studying both violin and piano is that um, they're they're taking the Suzuki program so that's a lot of you know oral based the you know, listening and so forth and they play things but they also their their teacher also encourages them there's you know we got a CD of just like some you know basic basic four bar kind of blues pattern right. and they just kind of improvise you know i.e. screw around <laughs> you know over top of that with their violin but it's great they're being introduced to this at a young age i was never introduced to it you know and so um so i think there are a lot more younger generations of musicians who can do both but you than could mine. sit down on a piano without sheet music <coughs> and just i'd love to be able to do that but so that's another thing I, I might i might spend some time with just yeah because i but is it the I mean, I just can't imagine you not being able to do it. Is it just? Is I see it that how you lame can't? it is. <laughs> it's true. I mean, but no, it's but it's it's. It, I think it's partly because, and it's something that is very difficult sometimes to discuss. But but the idea of interpretation, the idea of taking a Beethoven piece and interpreting it in a way that is great. I mean, the music on its own is great, right. but it can be played averagely. It could even be played poorly. Yeah. Um, so to play something to play something that like with like with what you would call a sophisticated exciting uh, stimulating satisfying uh, you know an excellent interpretation that actually is a big part of what classical musicians do it is not just as say i've heard i heard a jazzer once say this oh you guys yeah you just do data transfer <laughs> And it's, and, and it's like I laugh because I get it. I get it. We, we see, we, we do, you know. Yeah, but, 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 but it's so much more than that. Yeah. And, like, and, I mean, and you also, re at the same time, I mean, to, to execute that is one thing, to be able to play what you see, but to play that with other musicians and make it coherent. Yeah, sure. Yeah. Is like huge. Yeah. 
but I don't, I don't understand. So when when you when you say about improvise, like have you ever just sat in front of a piano and just noodled around? Like hardly ever, because I usually have too many things I have to learn. <laughs> you, you know, like you know, like you know, I just I just I. I I don't have much time. But I'm wondering if you did, if maybe you, you yeah. have it in you and you just never give it. Well, that's possible. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'd like to think that I could be able to to pick up on some basics. You know? <laughs> really. It's like, you know, 53. Come on. <laughs> it's like, really? <laughs> but I guess it's because you've been too busy. Yeah. yeah. Could you sit down and play Happy Birthday on the piano and then make it your own? I mean, I no, I could play it. I, you know, it, it would be, it would be fine, but it wouldn't, you know, I, I couldn't sort of. And now in the style of, you know, I sort of do that because I, you know, I know friends that could do that kind of stuff too, and that's pretty, it's pretty impressive. But are you perfect pitch, relative pitch? Yeah, perfect pitch. Okay, so you, I mean, I, that's the other thing is like, yeah. it must be crazy to be perfect pitch, and to play because you want perfection. Like any any single thing that's off. Must Although just it's funny, you know, my my piano is so out of tune. <laughs> um, but usually it doesn't bother much because I got the hockey game on. <laughs> but uh, uh, it only bothers me if somebody's over and they're playing my piano. Like, oh, it's so out of tune. I can't stand it. <laughs> so you have the advantage. Most classical musicians have their own instruments, and they're usually pretty expensive. Like it's a it's a mortgage or whatever, right? String players, not pianists. We're okay. Yeah, but, but you have to, I guess, deal with who, what's given to you at that venue. Yeah, no, I think, and actually, it was one, um, and that's another reason why, in particular, pianists have to be adaptable. And right. I, it's like a chicken egg. I don't know which came first. Like pianists became adaptable, or having different instruments every night made pianists adaptable. <laughs> I, it's one or the other. I think I am adaptable, which is good. Um, as one, as I forget, I forget who it was, but one pianist put on her website. You know, for us, every night's a blind date. <laughs> and it's great because you, you just say, hey, how you doing? You know, you meet this piano. You're going to spend a few hours with them. And um, How long does it take you to acclimatize to that piano? Um, basically, your, your dress rehearsal time. So like an hour. And do you know immediately if you're working with a really good piano? Yeah, you, yeah, you, you know right away. Um, the, 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 the basics would be... Um, quality of sound mm-hmm. and quantity of sound, I suppose. Well, that I mean, the basics of sound, and then there's the basics of the action. Whether an action is it's easy to play or really stiff, hard to play. There's one, there's one piano in um, San Miguel, Mexico, that is just brutal. It is so thick, so heavy action. So, oh, oh, you know, <clears throat> it's like playing a scale. It's like you know, you need to have a Gatorade. You know, you're exhausted. <laughs> So there are some pianos that it's like you again. <laughs> I've, I've played that one a few times, but but many of them are like, hey, good to see you, you know. And um, so there's a number of pianos around around the country that are like that. Um, I would say though that there's only there's only really roughly one piano a decade that you really really get to know well, you know. So for me, you know, one of the pianos growing up, um, one of the pianos at UBC that I practiced. Um, my brother's piano from when we lived together in New York, <coughs> my piano at home, and one of my pianos at school. What, what's the greatest thing you've learned from the experience of being a musician? Oh, geez. Um, I, th- I think sort of having a sense of what Beethoven was thinking in the late string quartets. That, that you know, I think I, I remember talking... 
it's 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 pretty much one of the closest examples of man talking to God, I think. Hmm. Um, and it those late string quartets, and 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 you know, especially when you when you get into them a bit, listen to them a bit. It is there is a communion of spirit. There is something that um, that that certainly certainly is is far greater than most of what you see on earth i think you know um so that i mean that i mean that's certainly one of the most special things to me um yeah my last question would be and and you've lived your life in music you have started playing at five music has been with you for Mm -hmm. all your life what does music mean to you well you know actually it's 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 really like this sort of interesting it's this interesting triangle over time of, of emotional communication, and <clears throat> so when, when, I, when I, I was you know talking to the our, our, our students in Orford um, just last month about this, where you know when say Beethoven writes something, and say he's in C minor, so he's angry, you know, so like like something pissed him off. We don't know what it was. Maybe maybe it was like you know this woman he loved, his father said, "You can't see him anymore." So, so he's really angry about this. So he writes something that's super angry, and so, so he, so he plays the sonata, you know, and and then the audience. They don't know the specifics. They get the general. They get the emotion, and then they fill in something themselves. So basically, or or the performer. So, so we get something, and they go, "That's like that parking ticket I got," you know, which was totally unjustified. You know, the sign wasn't visible, and so that's what makes you angry. And so you play in a way that's angry, and then. And then somebody else out in the audience is like, that's like that time when he didn't put the, fill the toner cartridge in the copier. Yeah, you know, it's like our specifics are completely different and unrelated, but the generality. So, so, so like a composer will take their specific emotions and put it through this ink on paper, (laughs) you know, and, and, and project something general to Mm. me or any of us as performers and then we input our personal on stage and then the audience gets the general and they input their personal and and that that i find fascinating mm-hmm. how this i say this sort of this triangle of emotional communication exists over time that that i find really interesting but you know i really appreciate this time that was so great with you like it's uh I'm a fan. I know nothing about oh, classical thanks, music, <laughs> but I watch you and you blow me away. Thanks, I'm so real thrilled to, to sit down and talk to you. So, thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you.